Good morning. So today is day 64 of our 117-day prayer initiative. And if you're kind of like me, when you first started, it was kind of like a, a workout at the beginning of the year. You add this, and, and frankly, you're sore, and, and you're not sure you want to keep doing this, but you stretch a little more. You, you find a connection that maybe you didn't know you had before with God. But now something even worse has happened that after that I've gotten comfortable. Let's finish these last 53 days strong. Because in reality, this 117 days is just the beginning of a new way that our church, a new way that First Christian is going to pray. So let's not let darkness convince us that what we've accomplished so far is enough. So if we can read Psalm 117 together, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol Him, all you peoples. For great is His love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So, I have titled this, I talked about tentatively titling it, but I realized in the first service, the message is not tentative anymore. When two stories become one, a story of God's grace and mercy, and hopefully as I go through this, the reasoning behind that title becomes clear as, as we go through. But to understand that thought and that title, we must first agree with this, that we're all broken people. We come before God not whole. We are broken as we're here today. And I really hope you will indulge me today as this message is different and more personal than the others I've given previously. This is about two stories, and they happen to two people who didn't even know each other when they began. My story, some of you know, I'm, I'm a preacher's kid. And so I grew up in the church. I can remember laying in my mom's lap and watching my dad preach when I was young. I'm comfortable in the building. I know how to get from one place to another. The secret passages in churches, because I spent a lot of time while my dad was practicing to preach, I spent a lot of time running around the building. I went to Sunday school. I was in youth groups. Church is my second family. I even like the way old churches smell. Now, Denny Mowry would say that's just repairs that need to be done, but I like it, nonetheless. But about 30 years ago, I went to the church I was at to pick up my three sons from a rehearsal on a Christmas pageant that they were going to be in. And my wife and I had decided after many tears and much heartache and a year's worth of counseling that we would be getting divorced. So I got to church that day to pick up my boys, my second home, the place really other than my home that I felt most comfortable. And nobody would talk to me. And they looked at me like I had done something horrible to them. And if I get a card or a call from that church asking me how I'm doing with my divorce, it will be the first one I've gotten. And I don't say that to shame those folks. I just say, I think there's sometimes things that happen in church that we always don't know how to deal with. And as somebody who's been through them, just go up and ask. Now, there's a second story 
Because there's another woman who's also married. And that marriage is one of abuse. Of physical and emotional abuse. Horrible abuse. In fact, had she not left that story, she would have been like a Nicole Brown Simpson or so many other women who are abused. But she became a domestic violence survivor. The scripture today is from Matthew 5, 31, 32. And I don't know who passed out these assignments, but the first one I got was murder, and this one I get is divorce. <laughs> so I don't know if that says something about me, but fortunately I think the next one is on prayer. So the scripture is, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In the first century, divorce and remarriage were widely accepted and practiced. There were differing rabbinical schools with differing views as to what should be allowed to issue a certificate of divorce. And those views were based on the Old Testament scripture found in Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that your God is giving you for an inheritance. So that's the Old Testament law that the Pharisees were interpreting through the centuries. You know, it's kind of strange because today, in the news almost every day, don't we hear about lawyers and judges who are interpreting the laws? Some things just never change. There were various interpretations among the, the different rabbinical schools as to, in Jesus' time, as to just what that scripture in Deuteronomy meant. And the interpretation surrounded the phrase, he has found some indecency in her. The Hebrew translates some matter of nakedness, but that didn't necessarily mean sexual sin. And it's kind of an equivalent phrase to some shameful thing. So it is that phrase that divided the two main schools of Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, who were both famous first-century Jewish scholars. And Hillel took a very lax view and said that the husband could divorce, divorce his wife for almost any reason, even making a bad dinner for him. There was another rabbi, Akiba, that said a man could divorce his wife even if he found someone fairer than she. I mean, the grass is always greener, right? Again, don't we see churches doing exactly the same thing today? If you want a prosperity gospel, come on in. You know, if you really don't like what's actually written here, that's okay. Because we want you to be comfortable. Well, sometimes the gospels and the scripture is not comfortable. But it's this mix of interpretations that surrounded Jesus as he speaks about divorce during the Sermon on the Mount. 
So when I was looking at these two verses, almost every time the note said, go to Matthew chapter 19, because that's where he expands on it. And so that's what I did. And there, as usual, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus in what he's saying. And they ask him, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any reason? And Jesus, knowing what was in their hearts, and knowing the scripture being referenced, gives them this answer. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning, male and female, and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So here Jesus, instead of answering the scripture in Deuteronomy, goes back to Genesis where God has created man and women, and he makes reference to the ideal of marriage before the fall, while they were still in Eden. And it's interesting, as I've prepared more than just this message, that Jesus often answers that way. He points not to answer their scripture that they've asked about, but to the ideal, back to the Garden of Eden, before there was a fall. And I mean, isn't that why Jesus was there? Because he knows we can't reach that ideal. So he's here for us, and he eventually dies for us, so that we can reach out to the ideal, which is our Father in heaven. So Jesus, in answering the Pharisees' question, he doesn't get caught up in the question, but he avoids their trap by going of creation and actually shows what God's intention is for the institution of marriage. But the Pharisees, as usual again, are not finished trying to trap Jesus. They ask, why did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And again, you see over and over again, the Pharisees only looking at the outward actions. But what we're seeing as we go through these antithesis is Jesus says there is an inward heart. There is thought inward that needs to come out. The Pharisees don't understand that Moses had not issued a command for divorce, but actually, if you read that, a limitation on remarriage. And Jesus answers them by saying, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. So let's come back to our two stories that I talked about earlier. And we do that because these two people meet, and each of them are divorced. One brings with him three kids and an ex-wife who's going to be in the picture because she's their mom. The other brings her experiences and background from her first marriage as well. And the reason this is important is because those two people fall in love. So being a preacher's kid, and I don't know about other preacher's kids, but I was just smart enough and had enough knowledge to be look into this marriage, divorce, remarriage thing. And what it looks like according to what I'm reading is that if I marry this woman, I'm going to be committing adultery. I mean, I love this woman and she loves me, but I'm pretty sure adultery is one of the big ten. It's a carved in stone sin. Now, I can't speak for everyone who gets married, but I'm pretty sure that nobody goes into a marriage hoping that there will be a divorce. I think everybody wants their marriage to last. 
but one in two marriages in this country end in divorce. Now, for Christians, with the Bible and all the teaching that we have, everything that goes with that, you can take comfort that it's only 50%. It's the exact same thing. And statistics say that second marriages fare even worse. So now I'm talking, I'm, Lord, you've put this good, kind, loving Christian woman in front of me, but if I marry her, am I really adultery? And I believe the answer to that is yes. But fortunately for all of us, we have God's grace and mercy, not just for this sin, but for other sins as well. So what are we supposed to do when we sin? We're supposed to repent. But what does that actually mean? In the New Testament, the term is change of mind and regret or remorse. And, and in Christian terms, we basically say we're turning away from the sin and turning back to God. So now I must repent, as I must with any sin, and the two stories do become one, but not one without its challenges. I will never forget, many years ago I worked in a daycare center, and all of a sudden I see my beautiful bride walking down the hallway, and she doesn't look happy. And she says, Christopher and Jonathan, the two older boys, have just fed Jeremy, the younger boy, a quarter. And off she took them to the urgent care center. I'm sure falling in love with those cute little boys more a little each day. I mean, I think Stacy understood that I came with boys and I came with a backstory, but I'm not sure she was prepared for that experience. And with work schedules back then, Stacy was often the adult that was put in charge for taking care of the boys during the afternoons. Now, Stacy didn't really want the additional responsibility of being a mom for even that little while, but she was put in position to do that. And the boys, being boys, didn't want her to be a mom. And they were going to test her as often as they could. And Lori, my ex-wife, was guarded and jealous that Stacy was trying to be a mom to her boys, even though she didn't want to be a mom to the boys. And I can tell you that the tears and the scar tissue that formed as we tried to figure out our roles, the holidays and schedules, are still there but over time revealed what God's love is really all about. And then God's grace began to appear as it so often does. My wife made a decision that this family would work. Now, I'd love to tell you it was all my idea and I could get up here. This is how I did it. I can't take credit for it. Stacy made that decision. So what did that look like? Well, we began to invite Lori, my ex-wife, over for holidays and special occasions. So we had many Christmas Eves together and Easter brunches. Eventually, and I don't know how this happened, it turned into girls' events with Stacy and my ex-wife Lori, both of our moms, some of the other family, and then when Katie was born, Katie was part of that too. And when Katie was born, 
we made a conscious decision that my ex-wife would be Aunt Lori. And there were never any references to Katie's half-brothers. In fact, if you want to see my beautiful daughter get really upset, ask her how her half-brothers are. That's not something that she allowed, nor would we. And Katie was made part of her brother's group. Stacy and I were worried because the difference in age, we just didn't know if there'd be a connection. The youngest boy is 11 years older than Katie. That was not a problem. Every time when the boys would come over, Katie would crawl or walk or do whatever into their room, not to be seen again until it was time to put her to bed. And I would go in sometimes, you know, because as a dad, when it's quiet in a room, you think, maybe I should go see what's going on in there. And I would go check on everyone. And Katie, in her cute little voice, would say, you can leave now. <laughs> Much to my son's amusement. She even took her first steps in their room. Now, all of that, that laughter, doesn't negate the pain and the anguish that we went through with this new story. It was through those tears and those scars that we learned how to become a family. And God's grace shone through when we would show family pictures to others and try to explain that my ex-wife, who was Katie's aunt, was in the picture, and sometimes with some of her family, and it would get very confusing. And you could almost see in these people's eyes, well, you mean she was your family, right? And the answer was, no. Because our God is a God of grace and second chances. And that's really the whole message of the Messiah. I mean, when Jesus performs miracles, what is he doing? He's giving a second chance at sight or healing or even life. When we have faith in our Lord's ability to heal, to give a second chance, all we need to do is have the faith of the centurion and ask. And so in our story, through God's grace, we formed a new family, a family that still had and has issues. But I will tell you that God's grace is bigger than our issues. And that was important in ways that we couldn't understand as we imagined this new family and as we moved through what is now almost 29 years of marriage. Because about three and a half years ago, Aunt Lori became sick. She had remarried a wonderful man and they had made a life of their own. But that also just added to our family. Tracy, Lori's new husband, became another part of our family. We had all gone to their wedding and their reception, and we had danced and laughed, and it was wonderful. But I will tell you, when Lori got sick, without God's grace and mercy, we might not have been able to strengthen and comfort each other as we did. And Lori knew when the end was coming near where her destination was, and she was comforted by that. As is so often the case, those of us left behind question why the person leaving us has to go. But she knew she was going home. Lori passed away almost two years ago. Our family, the family of grace and mercy, assembled by God for his glory, were all at her services. And we shared laughter and tears at her passing. And now the boys, when we introduce them, are our boys. And our kids are our kids. And we still see Lori's family because it's our family, and we see them on a regular basis. 
and those boys who fought as boys do, who tested Stacy so much, now call her mom. And it's not a sign of disrespect to Lori, because she is their mom, but it really is just an acknowledgement of God's grace. So, in our family, this is what grace looks like. Our oldest son and our grandson are not there, but when our youngest son married our daughter-in-law, she brought a family of our own that is now our family. So we not only have Michelle as a daughter-in-law, we have Bree as a daughter, we have Ashley as another granddaughter, we have Paul and Chris and Estelle and Aiden, and they are our family. When our youngest son Jeremy got married, we didn't know when we would have more grandkids, but if you can go ahead and put up the other slide. This is at the sweetheart dance last week, and honestly, the only reason this slide's here is so I can show off my granddaughter. <laughs> so I would encourage you to give messages because you can just put up whatever pictures you want to put up there. <laughs> we are so blessed by this extended family. And if we can go to the last one here. This is our God-given grace here. Sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's messy, and sometimes it's both. But hopefully it's always a reflection in some way of the grace and redemption and the, the joy that can come from repenting of our sins and submitting to God's will. So our stories have become one, Stacy's and mine. I've repented of the sin of adultery and hopefully can show through our lives a bit of the redemption that God can offer. I do know from this experience that I can better talk with others about sin, but also from a personal experience about God's mercy and grace. And in the reality, the two stories, Stacy's and mine, when they became one, they're no longer ours. But it's really the story of God taking two imperfect people to tell his perfect story. Now, I don't know what path God has for us or for me going forward, but I do know that someday I will stand before a throne of judgment, and on that day there will be sins for which I have no excuse and have not repented. But as to this sin that I've committed, I will be able to say that I repented and that my marriage to Stacy is hopefully one that is God-honoring and has benefited our family. When talk, Paul talks about the race that we're all running, as Christians fighting this, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Maybe you're dealing with sin. Maybe that's your two stories, you and sin. Maybe it's a relationship gone wrong you and that other person, or maybe it's a pain or an anger that you just can't let go of. These are your two stories going forward. But it doesn't have to be your final story. I can tell you from experience that wherever you are now, God wants you for himself. He is jealous for you. If you're stuck in sin, repent. God is waiting to show his grace not only to you, but through you. If you haven't yet given your life to Christ, he can't wait for you to come home. 
so he can show you his love and mercy and grace. And if you've been thinking about that decision for Christ and you want to do that today, what a wonderful way to end the message. And the waters are ready. If you just want to learn more about this loving God who sent his only son so that you and I could have a close relationship with God, let's talk. You know, days won't always be easier. And trust me, you won't always see the path that God is laying out for you. As a 19-year-old just married, I could not have told you in my wildest imagination that I would be here. But here is where I am, not through anything I've done, but through God's grace and mercy to me. God is laying out a path for you. Even if you can't see it, rest assured, there is a path of grace and redemption. Father God, we thank you for sending your son to die for us that we might have grace and redemption, that we might have a loving, personal, intimate relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for the ways that you shine in my life, and, and Lord, may your grace continue to shine through me to others. Lord, if there are people out there today who are hurting, who are telling their own stories, please let them know that you'd like their story to become one with yours, and that's only possible because of your son's death and resurrection on the cross. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.